I would like, if I may, to take you on a very strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I'm your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. It is May 18th, and I've got a great show for you this week. First and foremost, let's run through it. I've got a very special episode today because I'm going to do a little bit of a Nine Cents Letters twofer. I had two questions come in from one gentleman, and so I'm going to address them both. They're not really that related, other than they have everything to do with Satanism. Uh, So I figure, why not? talk about them. After that, we've got an Agent Provocateur, Episode 12, Saudi Arabia's Free Pass Gets Revoked. Hell yeah. I am stoked for this episode. And it celebrates a year of Agent Provocateur on Nine Cents. How amazing is that? It does not seem that long. Or maybe (laughs) it seems really much longer. I don't know. I can't tell which. But either way, I'm really excited for this episode. Uh, what I love about Agent Provocateur and uh, its host, Darren Deicide, he challenges established thoughts, ideas. Um, and, and, and it's really entertaining. It, it's from a, an incredibly educated stance. And it's a lot of fun to listen to. I, I know I'm not the only one thinking that. So I hope he keeps it up. Another Agent Provocateur. And because I'm going to be doing a Nine Cents Letters twofer, I'm not going to do a uh, creature feature or uh, anything else. And I got to be honest, you know, I, I started doing a lot of interviews the first year and a half, two years of this show. Uh, I'm just too busy to, uh, I'm too busy to continue trying to set up interviews. So all the time, you know, I, I used to do them like every week or every other week or something like that, but it's been a while and it's probably going to be a while before I can sit down. I do have a lot of things in the works for you guys, uh, for you listeners out there. Um, I'm collaborating with a couple new, very intelligent gentlemen who I'm looking greatly forward to their episodes to air. Um, and as I try to bring in other voices, I will be sort of fading in the background a little bit more. So I'll, I'll be producing the show and I'll continue, you know, sort of giving intro outro stuff. But if I have content, that is valuable to you, then I don't really need to be a, you know, a part of that. So I'll, I'll just sort of air it and, you know, I'll, I'll step back when I can. And to be honest, I, I really need to, I, I'm, I'm sort of at a position right now and it really hit me home, uh, really hard this weekend in particular where I'm, I'm just buried. I'm, I'm fucking buried in work and I am trying to pump out two websites, refining another one. Um, I, I just, I don't have the time. And so it, you know, it gets to a point where I have to manage various projects, which comes with the territory, but I also have to manage home time with my family. And that for me is challenging because they're so fantastic about allowing me 
um, the opportunity to sort of step away and do what I got to do. You know, I mean, obviously everything I do makes money so that we can sort of have a lifestyle that we've uh, come accustomed and, and we appreciate. But I, I do like spending time with my family. I, I genuinely do. And I haven't gone hiking at all because I don't have the damn time. We, there was a Utah Renaissance Festival that I kind of wanted to hit up this weekend, but I didn't have time. I wanted to go see the uh, release of Godzilla, but again, don't have the, I got the money, don't have the time. So it's, it's a tough trade-off sometimes. And so that's why, you know, I'm really happy because stuff like this comes generally in waves where you're, you know, it's feast or famine, you're buried one, one weekend or one month or one quarter. And then the next, it's pretty slow. That's part of the reason why I charge so much for doing what I do, but also, um, it, it sets a premium so I don't have to deal with, uh, bullshit, you know? Um, oh, hey, some really great news came out. First of all, let me address last week. So the Satanic Witch episode, the very first of many, I am planning on, on having that be a theme that goes throughout, probably not annually, maybe semi-annually or biannually or whatever you want to call it, uh, but it was a lot of fun. And if you haven't listened to that episode yet, I highly recommend that you do. Uh, Jesse and Aaron are two amazing women who have a really wonderful perspective on uh, the Satanic Witch as a volume, as a book, but also the theories that go into practicing lesser magic that are addressed therein. So definitely go back and check that out. I've gotten a lot of really great feedback from everyone. And surprisingly, I've gotten a lot of great feedback from the guys. And you guys have been, <laughs> it's funny because it's a universal uh, response for everyone who has commented to me on this episode. If you're a dude, if you've got a, if you got junk between your legs, you're, <laughs> you want to hear something specific to men. You don't want to necessarily hear about satanic witch. I can't identify with that perspective because loving women and being a part of them and, and wanting to be in <laughs> be a part of them is such a huge part of who I am that I, I don't, it's hard for me to separate, um, the way I think with women. Uh, I, I just, I feel like, you know, I, I sort of have a little crossover there. And so it's hard for me to say, well, I don't want to talk about women at all. I just want to focus on guys, but we're going to try to do it anyway. You know, I'm not the only guy on this podcast. I'm going to sit down and I, it's very early. But we're trying to brainstorm um, about a Satanic Warlock episode or sodes. <laughs> Episodes, plural. Uh, more than one. Yeah. So, and it's an idea. We, we're, we're batting it around. It is not my idea. And it is, in fact, I believe, Aden Arden and Darren Deicide's idea if not just our den our dens. Uh, but we haven't all, you know, talked about it yet. We've pre like loosely tossed the idea around and we're going to collaborate and make something valuable for you, the listener, uh, centered around the masculine testosterone, lesser magic. And, uh, yeah, being a warlock, what it means to be a powerful male magician, uh, in today's society. It should be a lot of fun. I I'm greatly looking forward to it. And it's, going to probably be pretty valuable to you, uh, those of you who do not identify with anything female. Um, so yeah, that's for you people. Hopefully, hopefully it happens. Um, okay. So I, I mentioned the other week, I've got a lot of things on my ticker on my list here before I get to the show. So please bear with me. Um, oh, where was I? So last week I addressed wanting to 
Uh, okay, so I said the this podcast, nine years of nine cents, I will not do more than nine years of the podcast, but I probably will let it live uh, into the future with an article, um, written article, like, uh, you know, sort of Q&A, Dear Abby type thing, except for nine cents letters. Um, and so I'll address all your questions, and I've gotten a number of them since I mentioned it last week, and I've, I believe... Fingers crossed that it's going to be released here soon. I don't want to give any information, any erroneous information until I know for sure. But I've, I've put together some really, you know, three wonderful questions in an article about Nine Cents Letters. And so hopefully issue one will be out here pretty soon in a very uh, wonderful format. So again, no information yet, no, no firm information yet, but it is on the horizon and it's coming and I'm looking forward to it. Um, the wonderful women who head up, I should say, the wonderful witches who head up Hell Magazine, H-E-L-L-E Magazine, uh, they had an issue come out a year-ish ago. <laughs> uh, I was lucky enough to be featured in it for my, uh, facial hair. It was, uh, I'm gonna butcher this, Pogo file? P- Pinogo file? I don't know. People who like beers. Um, so I was in that article, and it was a lot of fun. It was a really, really great magazine issue that was released, and uh, it was it was something that you could look forward to. I mean, just, you know, Hell Magazine, Satanic Witches heading it up. It's all about, um, you know, Satanic Witches and potions and featuring individuals and topics and stuff. So traditional magazine format, but uh, very much Satanist-centric. Um, and... It actually was just released, I think, either today or yesterday, as you're listening to this a couple days ago, and um, it was awesome, and I was, I'm was i actually in it again, so I've weaseled my way in yet again, uh, and it was in this really wonderful article by um, uh, which Tanya, and she, um, she talked about fitness through a satanic lens. And then she featured a number of other Satanists who also uh, see fitness in the similar light, uh, in the same light. So I was one of them, and you're probably going to see more nipple than you want. <laughs> I'm pretty positive. <laughs> I had, when, okay, so when someone comes up to me and they're like, hey, we're going to have a fitness article and, you know, let's get some words and let's get some photos. In my mind, I'm like, okay, I'm going to work out, and I'm going to have someone take pictures of me working out, and I'm going to send them in, and that's going to be that. Uh, Turns out only one other dude (laughs) was shirtless. Everyone else was in traditional workout clothes. So, yeah, that's (laughs) that's my life. I'm always getting naked when I shouldn't. Um, Anyway, I'm not fully naked, but, you know, you'll get a sense of... uh, (laughs) <laughs> the grotesquerie that is me and my beer belly as it <laughs> fucking bellows over my belt. Uh, pretty gross stuff. Um, but look forward to that. It's a really great article by Tanya. I was I, I loved it a lot. I want to get those women on this show so that I can talk to them about the magazine stuff. I don't know if that'll happen. Last time the issue was out, I had one of them on, a contributor on, and it was it was a wonderful discussion. I had a lot of fun with it. So hopefully we can do it again. Uh, maybe sometime in the future, but they've they sort of reformatted the way that they're doing it, so it's now much more of like a, a, 
almost like a blog basically where they post their articles you can get a you know sort of comment on the articles on the website or follow the website and be um, informed when new issues or articles are out and you can submit to it so go check it out check out hellmagazine.com h-e-l-l-e magazine.com and uh you know see what those uh, wonderful women are doing uh, it is absolutely valuable and we've been as a I'm going to say a satanic collective, <laughs> tiptoeing around some verbiage there. Um, we've been inundated with some really shitty pseudo-Satanist uh, behavior and news lately, and it is getting to the point of just nausea. So it's it's refreshing when you can see something like Hell Magazine come out, and it's from a truly satanic perspective, and it's women who are... Uh, owning their lives and their voices and Satanism. Um, I, I don't think there's enough women who do it, and so it's always inspiring when you find them who uh, th- those who do. So definitely check it out. Um, and then <laughs> I was watching this really weird show. Um, it's it's an old one. It's on PBS. Yeah, and I, I watch PBS. I'm a PBS fan. I like this old house. Sue me. But there was also like this really old show on PBS called Frontier Life, which is a sort of take on a reality show for PBS. And it's, you know, some people who go into like the mountains of Montana as if they were pioneers and lived as if it was the 1800s and they were, you know, settling the land for the first time. And they have to kind of live through the spring, summer and fall and then set up for the winter. Uh, It's, you know, kind of a survivalist type show, but um, interesting. It's like a number of families and they sort of you know, skip around from family to family, see how they're doing and stuff like that. And I fantasize about stuff like this. This is like, to me, getting away from modern society and going and just living uh, off the grid by myself and my family in the middle of the wilderness is a very attractive idea to me. Um, And that's why I love these sort of like zombie apocalypse type shows and stuff because I like the idea of the world kind of crumbling. I I really genuinely do. I fantasize about it. And I mean, I actually fantasize more about aliens coming and destroying our civilization and then trying to exist. And this may be a a, a callback to like the original um, Red Dawn when I was a kid and it was like Russians in that movie. But it's it's an attractive idea to me, just pure survival, you know, living by the moment and not having to worry about bills and stuff, but instead focusing on food and water and safety. I, I really like that idea. And so this show, you know, sort of brought that out of me. And I thought, you know, if I ever, if it ever came down to it and, you know, I had to either like live in the middle of nowhere, I would, I feel pretty good about what my family and I have been doing. So... Obviously, you know, if if society collapses, I make wine and I make beer. And so I can sell and trade through that. But like this morning, I had my kids outside with me and we were planting our garden finally. We've been having some really crappy weather. And so we've been avoiding like full on planting. But this was the perfect weekend for it. Um, And I had them out there and, you know, I was teaching them how to, you know, put the seeds in and build up these little mounds and um, the different vegetables that we're planting and talking about it. And our chickens were running around the yard, eating up the little slugs and bugs that are, you know, freaking everywhere. Um, and I had this really wonderful moment where I was like, you know what? I, I feel really connected. I, I feel very satisfied that my family and I could, 
could probably do a pretty damn good job living off the grid. Like, we get all of our, our beef from family, so we know it's not, you know, full of chemicals and shit. It's just my, my wife's father's a, a rancher, so we, we benefit from that. We grow our own vegetables as we can seasonally. Um, we make our own wine and beer. We're ha we have chickens. Um, the next step, I think... And I don't think I'm biting off more than I can chew uh, with this. But I genuinely think the next step for us is going to be like a beehive. Is to uh, grow our own honey. I think that's that's the next logical, simple step. Um, in our continual <laughs> attempts at uh, divorcing ourselves from society. But uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. And and it's, I know you guys, you, you hear about this every freaking week. I harp on it. Um, but it's a big part of who we are as individuals and, and what, what we do uh, as a family. And as a Satanist, I think it's important to have a connection in some way. And if you can't garden and if you can't, uh, you know, grow your own anything, well, that's fine. But you still need to get out. Get out and experience nature because it is, uh, it is who and what we are as human beings. We are animals. After all, and animals need to be in nature at some point. Um, all right. Well, I, I think I've harped on all this stuff long enough. It's, eh, it might be a short episode. I don't know. Let's go ahead and dive into Nine Cents Letters. Though I am an active member, I do not speak for the Church of Satan. Alright, so again, this is a nine cents letters twofer. I got two questions, so we're just going to do one at a time here. Uh, question one. If modern science discovers how humans came to be on the planet Earth with irrefutable proof that contrasts all Christian and other religious claims of our origins, what would happen to society? Would there be mass hysteria? Exponential increase in suicide? Anarchy? As a Satanist, I'm well aware of my mortality and my godless reality. However, a large majority of the planet relies on a higher power in the sky to keep them going from day to day. So if religion was 100% disproved, what would happen from the view of a Satanist to the world? Nothing. Next. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, if there, I mean, there's always going to be extreme cases of people reacting insanely, because there are insane people in this planet. Uh, you can't avoid the fanatics never believing in the face of all evidence to the contrary. Uh, truth. Period. So, irrefutable proof? Well, that's a misnomer. There's no such thing. Some people who have a science-based mind will accept proof. They will accept fact and it will influence how they see the world. But there's some people who it doesn't matter. They live in a fantasy world. They live in a bubble. And that's the majority of extreme religious fanatics, you know, Islamic Judeo-Christians. They will see it that way. And they can always fall back on their, well, that's just Satan giving the information. So he's just trying to trick us. And if that's your ultimate backup, you will never see truth in reality, ever. So it doesn't matter. There will never be a mass hysteria. There will never be irrefutable proof that that contradicts all religious claims of origin stories. 
uh, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, and, and here's the, the bottom line. I mean, you know, as, as Satanists, we like to have fun with thoughts like this as if because we see the world the way we do and we are so grounded in reality um, and in our mark that we can make in this world, it's solipsistic to think that everyone else can do the same. And, and they can't. I, I've talked about this on the show before. We each have an innate capacity. Uh, this means of ability or thought. And it differs from person to person. And, and you have to realize that some people are born to be sheep. You know, and it, it, it just goes in line with that idea that we are born as Satanists, so that means that Christians must be born too. You have to be deficient in some manner to accept fantasy as a way of reality, of seeing reality. And so, I mean, it's it's just straight up. Like they, they are deficient in their brains in order to accept Christian dogma, or their lives are so devoid of... Um, of, of information that they just assume that this is reality. And this is kind of a standpoint that, that we as a species have come from. We've had to evolve over time, leaping over these hurdles of suppression, but we've had to evolve into the way that we are right now, in, in the way we see reality. Uh, that and, and evolution, you know, to speak to your question of our or, human origins, that's that's... It's, you know, as, as people, as a species, uh, we will always have people who are just worker bees. They're just ants. They're just sheep. They, they will just move along about their day. They'll, they'll make your coffee and they'll, they'll clean your ass and, you know, they'll, they'll do what they do and they'll be happy with it. Uh, it's a bit of a burden being a Satanist in that context because you, you want to not only have the best life that you possibly can, because we recognize it's so short and this is it, but you also want to make your mark. You want to be notable as an individual in your own bubble, in your own reality bubble, your own world. Um, you want to be the best version of you that you can while influencing those around you. Uh, and that can be really, really frustrating when you're dealing with the, the vast majority of the other people on this planet because they're fucking retarded. I mean, you just have to deal with it. And and so, no, I don't think, again, going back to your question and saying the same exact thing over and over again, um, it will never be disproved. Uh, I don't think we understand everything about our origins right now. Um, we certainly don't know how those, you know, life elements started formulating on our planet, whether it was uh, internal or external or just chaos, uh, which is always a fun discussion. Um, and so moving forward, it, there won't be like some mass panic about it. If we do ultimately, which I don't think we ever will again, but if we do ever decide, okay, well, this is a collective understanding that yes, this is how we came to be because we kind of have that right now with our, our modern view of science evolution and people don't believe it. So, you know, what are you going to say? What are you gonna do? Uh, that's just how it is that some people are just born to be retarded and I don't mean, I, this is wildly offensive to some people who actually have uh, uh, mentally handicapped people in their family. That's not the retarded I'm talking about. I hope you all understand that. I'm sure you do. Um, but okay, so that, that was the first question. So second question. This is a good one here. Um, actually kind of interesting. Uh, 
Can a Satanist be a misanthrope and despise their own kind? Is it hypocritical to view, uh, I'm sorry, in the view of Satanism, the idea of not caring that your species survives seems like it may conflict with satanic ideology. I have no children yet had a vasectomy because I do not want to contribute to continuing my species, although I know others who continue to breed. But I feel better inside knowing I've done my part to not contribute to the problem. Do you as a Satanist find this to be in conflict with satanic beliefs? No. Next question. I genuinely don't. Uh, virtually every Satanist I know, again, I've already spoken to the reason why, we we have a sense of superiority because we are generally, generally <laughs> more accepting of reality, hence better human beings. Um, we recognize that if you live in a society, you have to be a, a productive member of that society. So... We feel superior because we we have an awareness about us. Um, and, and the other side of that is if you feel superior, uh, you, just, you sort of look down your nose or you despise everyone else. And so is it, you know, obviously we, we, we look down on the sheep generally, um, unless you're married to one. In which case, I love you, baby. I'm not looking down at you at all. I really love you. <laughs> Oh, disclaimer. Um, if you look down on other Satanists, I, I don't care. Look down on me. I don't care. If, you, if you're better than me, if you think you're better than me, why would you not look down on me? Um, why would you not want to avoid me at all chance? Of course, I don't know why you're listening to this podcast if that were the case. But just saying, um, if you don't want to associate with society, whether it's Satanic society or Satanists in that society or other human beings, be they uh, Satanists or no, that's that's you. It has nothing. It, it is absolutely not anti-Satanic. What we have to always keep in mind when when discussing Satanism is there are fundamental tenets that define what Satanism is. And everything else is kind of in the air, up to the individual. And there is, I believe, uh, Dr. LeVay even said he was a misanthrope. So it, you can despise absolutely society. You can despise other Satanists and not want anything to do with them and still be a worthwhile, productive, powerful Satanist in your own right. There's nothing hypocritical about that. Um, and hey, you know, if you don't want kids and you get a vasectomy, more power to you. I think it's wonderful. I've also had a vasectomy. Very horrible, traumatizing experience getting it. But uh, I've, I've had my two children, and if they get hit by buses, which I fucking hope doesn't happen, but if they do, then I'm not going to have any other kids, and I'm done. Done and done. I, too, believe that we should have limits. Uh, just because we live on one rock, and there are X amount of resources, and we keep breeding like locusts, we are literally sapping this planet dry. And if we want to live and have a quality of life, we have to stem the tide of production. So gentlemen like you, I tip my hat. Thank you very much for doing it. And then people who don't think that they are going to be sort of parent quality, get yourself fixed because you're probably right. And we don't need more little brats. I got mine too. That's all I want. Um, no, I, I told it. I dig it. I, I understand what you're saying and I, I completely agree with it. I, as much as I 
say I want to live off the grid. As much as I say I, I really detest humanity, though, I don't mind going out to a restaurant and having a fine meal in a social environment with other people that I necessarily wouldn't ever talk with and maybe don't even address. But I like the idea of, of uh, at, you know, situation dependent, of being in a large group of people. Not a lot, but sometimes I do. Um, a tight-knit group of friends, I definitely dig. And, and you know, we, on a micro level, decide the societies that we are a part of and just be honest about it. You know, that's all I'm saying is, is you know, there, there's this air of this, this mystique that goes along with saying, I am a misanthrope and I hate everyone. Yeah, well, you ever go to the grocery store because you're around other people? You ever, I don't know, go vote? You ever go to the post office? Anytime that you're commuting to work, the act of being at work itself proves that you're not. So there, there's this self-delusion that's involved a little bit, I think. But, um, you know, you have to survive, you have to live. And so sometimes you have to interact with other human beings. Doesn't mean you like it, doesn't mean you enjoy it, doesn't mean you want to be away from or you want to be with them. But, you know, sometimes reality dictates you do have to. Um, and just like the <laughs> rules of the earth, man... Keep your hands in your pocket, your head down, and do your thing. And if someone crosses your path, address it. But up until that point, keep your mouth shut, go about your business, and live a productive life. That's really all it comes down to. And, and that is um, the very definition of Satanism. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's, owning, it's owning your environment uh, and the society that you're a part of. So, yeah, I think that's, that's a pretty good way of putting it. Uh, thank you very much for the nine cents letter questions. Hope I address them to your liking. And for all of you out there listening, if you have any questions, feel free to email me info at ninecentspodcast.com. I'll address whatever questions you have, no matter how absurd or uh, genuinely interesting like these were. And um, for those of you who would like to have your questions in an article for the nine cents letters uh article in the future or you know up and coming ones here shortly uh just tag it and let me know i'll probably draw on past letters as well just so that i i, I have them available um but yeah just know that anytime you communicate with me i i won't ever say who you are but I will address what you're emailing. And I've been getting some really, really wonderful correspondence from you guys uh, listening uh, on a, a pretty regular basis, which, which is nice because it tells me that we collectively at Nine Cents, all the segment hosts included, are doing something worthwhile and of value to you. And, and that, that, means, that means a lot to us. I even got a little donation I shouldn't say little, I got a wonderful donation uh, here recently, and, and I want to reiterate that any donation you make to Nine Cents goes directly to hosting fees uh, and domain renewal fees for the podcast and all of the episodes. You literally have access to every single episode on NineCentsPodcast.com that I have ever produced and that every segment host has produced for you. And you get it not only in the traditional format, for free, but you also get the segments broken out of the traditional format. If you just want to listen to Down the Crossroads, if you just want to listen to Agent Provocateur, you can do that at your whim for free. And so whenever someone donates, I truly do appreciate it. You know, we put a lot of effort into producing this stuff 
and it it's just your way of saying thank you to us by donating. So obviously, if you hear some of us with uh, less than good quality microphones or our computers aren't up to snuff, any overflow of donations will go into equipment, and we'll we'll push that onto the appropriate um, uh, the appropriate needing host, you know, for for the nine cents uh, production, but. Uh, at the core, thank you very much for everyone who has donated. Thank you for those in the future who will donate. And if you haven't yet, well, continue enjoying Nine Cents Free. Uh, <laughs> at least for nine years, I suppose. Um, all right, let's dive into Agent Provocateur. Next, Darren Deicide is the man. I am not a liberal nor a conservative. I am not a Democrat nor a Republican. I am not a socialist nor a capitalist. I am not an authoritarian, and I'm definitely not fighting for your cause. I belong to no party, I support no politicians, I am loyal to no state, and your cause celebra means nothing to me. I am Darren Deicide, Agent Provocateur. Y yes, I took my prescription. No, I, I haven't touched that. Yes, I, I've stuck to the diet regimen. I use protection every time. Yes, I got the diagnosis. Anyway, it's great talking to you again, Mom. Take care. Welcome back to Agent Provocateur. Back quite literally from the depths of the sewers. I can't hang out too long down there, but it is fun to play in the muck from time to time. I think my friends might agree that I can be somewhat like a hard-shelled candy, tough on the outside but with a sweet nougaty center. But the wind is high and my knee is twitching in that funny way, so I think it's time again for a little bit of some of that hard-shelled love, and that's why it's time to once again dig my heels in for this episode entitled, Saudi Arabia's Free Pass Gets Revoked. I like revoking free passes because there are many, many of them in America's strange society, most are predicated on irrational articles of ignorance. Frankly, stupidity just isn't all that endearing, America. This unique type of blissful ignorance has created some unexpected guests who have me wondering, Hey, I know we never discussed this before, but why did somebody invite that guy? It's usually not a problem until someone smeared their feces all over the walls, and you're fighting to throw the guy out. Right now, the brown-colored writing on the wall spells Saudi Arabia. The Kingdom of Saudi Arabia was founded in 1932 by the unification of the extreme Orthodox Muslim sect of Wahhabism with the political power of Abdulaziz bin Abd al-Rahman al-Saud. This created an absolute religious monarchy within the Arabian Peninsula. As with any of these segments, I don't presume to give you a history lesson. We're all grown adults here. Well, most of us are. But you can do your own research. Let's move on to the nation-state itself, the ideological forces that govern it, and how they relate to us as Americans. Make no mistake. Radical political Islam is not a problem to our government and never has been. Whether it was the Mujahideen fighting the Soviets in Afghanistan or fundamentalist revolutions against secular Arab governments. And in the case of Saudi Arabia, profitability has trumped principle at the expense of American safety. Why not start with Saudi Arabia as a nation state and the radical weirdness that it is? 
Wahhabism, the general philosophy that guides the country, is an extreme interpretation of Sharia law that rose to prominence for its embracing of a fundamentalist point of view on Islam. This has led to a system that would normally draw the ire of neoconservative piety had they been on the wrong side of the socioeconomic fence. I can see John McCain now chiding Congress for its apathy in the face of Saudi atrocities while exalting his own moral clarity for pushing the issue to the forefront. <laughs> mm. ah. Sorry, something got stuck in my throat there. Wahhabism is a type of orthodoxy conceived of by 18th century theologian Muhammad ibn Abd al-Wahhab. Not bad for a gun-tote American, huh? Like any other religion, Wahhabism claims to have monopoly on the correct interpretation, in this case, of the Tawhid, the fundamental principle that there is only one Allah. This point of view is the foundational tenet of their theocratic state. This meant no idolatry, no more prophets, no more the fun stuff that I'm sure most of you know and love, and a return to fundamentalism. Naturally, this has led to a myriad of odd sins. Saudi Arabia stands as one of the few industrialized nations on earth where the accusation of magic and sorcery is punishable by death. In 2009, the kingdom established an anti-witchcraft unit. I'm not calling it this. The literal interpretation of this law enforcement wing is anti-witchcraft unit. The truth is indeed stranger than fiction. In 2011, 586 cases of magical crime were processed. As anyone who studies history knows, those caught in the throes of witchcraft allegations are often hapless elements of society that can be made examples of to scapegoat greater social problems and establish Ill illegitimate forms of hierarchy. In this case, most of the accused are foreigners with differing religious practices from Islam. How about women? Women live essentially as second-class citizens in Saudi Arabia, living in the only country on planet Earth where they are forbidden to drive and can be beheaded for adultery. Okay, I'm going to stop here because frankly it's not my business. I'm not Saudi, never will be. In fact, I intend to stay out of the Middle East indefinitely. Sorry, save your tourism brochures. I'm not interested. My point isn't to sit from the outside and moralize to these people about how they ought to live. My point is, Saudi Arabia is one weird fucking state, completely contradictory to American principles, but given another free pass, okay? Onward. In this hyper-conservative interpretation of Sharia law, one must pledge their allegiance to a supreme leader. Move over, Kim Jong-il. This type of centralized state authority made Wahhabi preachers conservative and less willing to use anti-colonial rhetoric. Naturally, this positioned the House of Saud, following its conquering of the Arabian Peninsula, for a major move to tap its main resource, oil. However, the unification of Saudi Arabia also coincided with World War II, putting the nascent country into a tepid position to trade internationally. Any possibilities for foreign investment would have to be stalled. The pivot point in how the United States got to its special relationship with Saudi Arabia was right after World War II when oil markets unfroze and American Standard Oil Corporations merged into the transnational corporation Aramco, 
an acronym for Arabian American Oil Company, in my not-so-humble opinion. Rather than invest its own oil reserves, America opted to outsource it for strategic basing. This gave the Saudi monarchy all the leverage it needed. In 1950, King Abdulaziz threatened to nationalize the country's oil infrastructure. All right, whenever you hear the word nationalize, quote-unquote, you're hearing government takeover, people. It's the most ridiculous piece of euphemistic language in politics and the way it's applied. Technically, this morning, I believe I nationalized my breakfast. Tomorrow morning, it will be outsourced. Sorry, sometimes I have trouble getting poop off my mind. Anyway, the threat of nationalization, quote-unquote, i.e. government takeover, leveraged Aramco to meet in the middle and enter an agreement to split profits with the monarchy 50-50 and give it part ownership. This set a new precedent. I call it guns for oil. We'll protect you and expand our power if you keep that cheap oil coming. It's a bit of a big brother relationship, not in the conspiratorial sense of big brother, quote-unquote, but in the literal sense. We'll cover your ass in the playground if you keep giving us some of your lunch money. But what do you do if little brother turns out to be a belligerent little brat? What do you do if little brother starts picking fights around the whole playground? Do you keep defending him? You see, Saudi Arabia has an interesting way of talking out of both sides of its mouth, or the classic government mode of operation, saying one thing and then doing another. As Saudi Arabia economically boomed into the latter half of the 20th century thanks to staggering oil profits, it began investing in propaganda. I recommend the book Islamic Economics and the Final Jihad by David Johnson. David J. Johnson, by the way. According to his expose, $70 billion was spent in overseas development aid, though most of the evidence points to those investments being made towards promoting Wahhabism. Many theorize that this propaganda effort to promote extreme political Islam created the climate that gave rise to the type of modern jihadism that America is contending with today. It was in this climate that a young Saudi Arabian construction mogul learned the ways of jihad. This rich and ambitious young man returned to Saudi Arabia from Afghanistan after Soviet withdrawal and was hailed as a war hero. This young man was Osama bin Laden. And it was right around that time of his return that the bulk of American forces landed in Saudi Arabia to begin Operation Desert Shield in August of 1990. Saudi Arabia made good on its deal. America used Saudi Arabian soil for basing its operations throughout the region. Americans don't like to listen to the grievances of their enemies, which unfortunately makes them all the more stupid and vulnerable, but the gripe is clear. Repeatedly, Osama bin Laden cited American basing in the lands of Mecca as a condition of withdrawing al-Qaeda's campaign. He saw it as a betrayal against Muslims in Iraq and occupied Palestine. Is it possible to commit ideological blasphemy on a satanic podcast? If that is a possibility, I couldn't think of any other way than by quoting bin Laden himself. Cover your ears, O oh, those who wish to not be challenged. Here it comes. 
I quote bin Laden's publicized edict from February 22, 1998. For over seven years, the United States has been occupying the lands of Islam in the holiest of places, the Arabian Peninsula, plundering its riches, dictating to its rulers, humiliating its people, terrorizing its neighbors, and turning its bases in the peninsula into a spearhead through which to fight the neighboring Muslim peoples. Despite the great devastation inflicted on the Iraqi people by the Crusader-Zionist alliance, despite the huge number of those killed, which has exceeded one million, despite all this, the Americans are once again trying to repeat the horrific massacres as though they are not content with the protracted blockade imposed after the ferocious war or the fragmentation and devastation. He goes on to declare war against the United States for its support of the Saudi monarchy. The Saudi monarchy has put itself in dire straits, a position it admits to in correspondence that becomes declassified. I'll come back to that in a moment. As the Arab Spring came to a head, the Saudi response was clear to protest and criticism. The crackdown led to casualties and arrests. I'll put a tally on the agent provocateur newswire. One final coup de grace, if you need something to put the kabash on it all, because all these foreign sayings have so much je ne sais quoi. Fifteen of the 19 9-11 hijackers were Saudi nationals. Turn that knife in our back a little more, please. To this day, the cradle of political Islam, Saudi Arabia, is still up to its usual antics. History is repeating itself. The Wall Street Journal reports that U.S. and Saudi intelligence agents struck a deal with Syrian rebels for new armament shipments on January 30th. The reports are streaming in of jihadi infiltration in the revolution against the secular Ba'ath Party of Syria. But there are some glimmers of dissension ever since 9-11. In October 2001, the Wall Street Journal reported that Crown Prince Abdullah sent a critical letter to U.S. President Bush Jr., on August 29. He warned that Saudi Arabia was being put in an untenable position and reportedly wrote, A time comes when peoples and nations part. We are at a crossroads. It is time for the United States and Saudi Arabia to look at their separate interests. Those governments that don't feel the pulse of their people and respond to it will suffer the fate of the Shah of Iran. Reports are coming in about the tension between the Obama administration and many of our once sacrosanct alliances with oil-producing totalitarian regimes in the Middle East known for not adhering to treaties or international law. I think it's time to break this cycle of dangerous liability. Let this agent provocateur help nudge a long overdue tipping point towards greater American independence. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Agent Provocateur. I mentioned it once, and I'll mention it again. Join my newswire at facebook.com slash agentprovocateur on 9 cents, one big word, for an eagle's eye view of the human cancer known as modern society. Take care. Yeah, I, I know, Mom. I had to do this segment. I'm sorry, Mom, I'm sorry. And that is going to do it, people, for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. I love that segment. 
All right, I would love to hear from you. Visit the website 9centspodcast.com and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let's... Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're also on Last.fm, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube, so look for us there. You can subscribe to 9 cents via iTunes by searching 9 cents, and don't forget to leave a rating and or comment. Send me your testimonials, people. I've been getting more every week, and I love hearing from you. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, and you should, visit churchofsatan.com. And remember that the only way that this podcast is going to continue to live is if you tell a friend. Share nine cents with your friends, your enemies, hell, your grandmother. Let's build this podcast together. Help spread the word! And, once again, thank you for joining me. As always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell. And until next week, Hail Satan!